My beloved brethren and sisters, humbly and gratefully I stand before you for the second time today. I am grateful for this privilege, and I invoke the Spirit of the Lord to sustain us as I speak about the power of personal prayer and how we may improve our communications with our Heavenly Father. All through my life, the counsel to depend on prayer has been prized above almost any advice I have received. It has become an integral part of me, an anchor, a constant source of strength, and a basis for my knowledge of things divine. Remember that whatever you do or wherever you are, you are never alone, was my father's familiar counsel to me as a boy. Our Heavenly Father is always near. You can reach out and receive His aid through prayer. I have found this counsel to be true. Thank God we can reach out and tap that unseen power without which no man can do his best. The Holy Scriptures are replete with convincing admonitions regarding the importance of prayer, impressive examples of prayer, and counsels on how to pray effectively. During his early ministry, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Watch and pray, he said, that ye enter not into temptation. In this dispensation, he said, Pray always, lest the wicked one have power over you and remove you out of your place. Through Joseph Smith the warning came, and in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things and obey not his commandments. Then we have this instruction from our risen Lord as he ministered among the Nephite people on the Western Hemisphere. Ye must watch and pray always, lest ye be tempted by the devil and ye are led away captive by him. Ye must pray and watch always, lest ye enter into temptation. For Satan desireth to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Therefore ye must always pray unto the Father in my name. And whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. May I now suggest some ways to improve our communication with our Heavenly Father. First, we should pray frequently. We should be alone with our Heavenly Father at least two or three times each day, morning, midday, and evening, as the scriptures indicate. In addition, we are told to pray always. This means that our hearts should be full, drawn out in prayer unto our Heavenly Father continually. Second, we should find an appropriate place where we can meditate and pray. We are admonished that this should be in your closets, your secret places, and in your wilderness. That is, it should be free from distraction in secret. Third, we should prepare ourselves for prayer. If we don't feel like praying, then we should pray until we feel like praying. We should be humble. We should pray for forgiveness and mercy. We must forgive 
anyone against whom we have bad feelings. Yet the scriptures warn our prayers will be vain if we turn away the needy and the naked and visit not the sick and afflicted and import not of our substance. Forth our prayers should be meaningful and pertinent. Do not use the same phrases at each prayer. Each of us would become disturbed if a friend said the same few words to us each day, treated the conversation as a chore, and could hardly wait to finish it in order to turn on the TV or forget us. In all our prayers, it is well to use the sacred pronouns of the Scripture, thee, thou, thy, and thine, when addressing deity in prayer, instead of the more common pronouns of you, your, and yours. In this arrangement, we show greater respect to deity. For what should we pray? We should pray about our work, against the power of our enemies and the evil one, for our welfare and the welfare of those around us. We should counsel with the Lord pertaining to all our decisions and activities. We should be grateful enough to give thanks for all we have. We should confess his hand in all things. Ingratitude is one of our great sins. The Lord has declared in modern revelation, and he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this world shall be added unto him even an hundredfold, yea, more. We should ask for what we need, taking care that we not ask for things that would be to our detriment. We should ask for strength to overcome our problems. We should pray for the inspiration and well-being of the president of the church, the general authorities, our state president, our bishop, our quorum president, our home teachers, family members, and our civic leaders. Many other suggestions could be made, but with the help of the Holy Ghost, we will know about what we should pray. Fifth, after making a request through prayer, we have a responsibility to assist in its being granted. We should listen, perhaps while we are on our knees. The Lord wants to counsel us. Since praying implies that when we ask for any virtue or blessing, we should work for the blessing and cultivate the virtue. Out of personal experience, I know the efficacy and power of prayer. As a young missionary in northern England in 1922, the opposition to the Church became very intense. The opposition became so strong that the mission president asked that we discontinue all street meetings, and in some cases, tracting was discontinued. My companion and I had been invited to travel over to South Shields to speak in the sacrament meeting. In the invitation, they said, we feel sure we can fill a little chapel. Many of the people over here do not believe the falsehoods printed about us. If you'll come, we're sure that we'll have a great meeting. We accepted. We fasted and prayed sincerely and went to the meeting. My companion had planned to talk on the first principles. I had studied somewhat in preparation for a talk on the apostasy. 
There was a wonderful spirit in the meeting. My companion spoke first and gave an inspirational message. I responded and talked with a freedom I had never experienced before in my life. When I sat down, I then realized that I had not mentioned the apostasy. I had talked on the Prophet Joseph Smith and borne my witness of his divine mission and to the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. After the meeting had ended, several people came forward, some of them being non-members, and said, Tonight we received a witness that the gospel is true as you elders teach it. We are now ready for baptism. This was an answer to our fasting and prayers, for we prayed to say only those things which would touch the hearts of the friends and investigators. In 1946, I was assigned by President George Albert Smith to go to war-torn Europe and reestablish our missions from Norway to South Africa and to set up a program for the distribution of welfare supplies. We established headquarters in London. We then made preliminary arrangements with the military on the continent. One of the first men I wished to see was the commander of the American forces in Europe. He was stationed in Frankfurt, Germany. When we arrived in Frankfurt, my companion and I went in to seek an appointment with the general. The appointment officer said, gentlemen, there will be no opportunity for you to see the general for at least three days. He's very busy, and he's filled up with appointments. I said it is very important that we see him, and we can't wait that long. We're due in Berlin tomorrow. He said, I'm sorry. We left the building, went out to our car, removed our hats, and united in prayer. We then went back into the building and found a different officer at the appointment post. In less than 15 minutes, we were in the presence of the general. We had prayed that we would be able to see him and to touch his heart, knowing that all relief supplies contributed from any source were then required to be placed in the hands of the military for distribution. Our objective, as we explained it to the general, was to distribute our own supplies to our own people, through our own channels, and also make gifts for general child feeding. We explained the welfare program and how it operated. Finally, he said, Well, gentlemen, you go ahead and collect your supplies, and by the time you get them collected, the policy may be changed. We said, General, our supplies are already collected. They're always collected. Within 24 hours, from the time we wired the First Presidency of the Church in Salt Lake City, carloads of supplies will be rolling toward Germany. We have many storehouses filled with basic commodities. He then said, I've never heard of a people with such vision. His heart was touched, as we had prayed it would be. Before we left his office, we had a written authorization to make our own distribution to our own people through our own channels. It is soul-satisfying to know that God is mindful of us and ready to respond when we place our trust in Him and do that which is right.
There is no place for fear among men and women who place their trust in the Almighty, who do not hesitate to humble themselves in seeking divine guidance through prayer. Though persecutions arise, though reverses come, in prayer we can find reassurance, for God will speak peace to the soul. That peace, that spirit of serenity, is life's greatest blessing. As a boy in the Aaronic priesthood, I learned this little poem about prayer. It has remained with me. I know not by what methods rare, but this I know, God answers prayer. I know that he has given his word, which tells me prayer is always heard, and will be answered sooner or late, and so I pray and calmly wait. I know not if the message sought will come just in the way I thought, but leave my prayers with him alone, whose ways are wiser than my own, assured that he will grant my quest or send some answer far more blessed. I bear witness to you, my beloved brothers and sisters, that God lives. He is not dead. I bear testimony that God our Father and his beloved Son, our Savior and Redeemer, did in very deed appear to Joseph Smith. I know this as I know that I live. I testify there is a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. I know this to be true. I would humbly urge all within the sound of my voice, member and non-member alike, to keep in close touch with our Father in heaven through prayer. Never before in this gospel dispensation has there been a greater need for prayer, that we will constantly depend upon our Heavenly Father and conscientiously strive to improve our communication with him is my earnest plea in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Since I last addressed the priesthood of the Church, some very basic changes in responsibility of the presiding bishopric have taken place. The First Presidency has announced that the responsibility for all youth programs rests with the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and has given much of the temporal responsibility of the Church to the presiding bishopric. We as a bishopric have enjoyed greatly our association with the youth throughout the world, as well as our associates with the Aaronic Priesthood and Young Women at headquarters. The fact that this change has taken place does not lessen our interest or love for youth. We continue to feel that the youth of today is a royal generation with a great destiny and pray for the well-being and success of young people everywhere. We continue to serve in the Aaronic Priesthood as it pertains to the temporal affairs of the kingdom. Within the past six weeks, I, with one of my counselors, have traveled to every area of the Church outside the United States and Canada, presided over by a general authority area supervisor. As we have become more intimately acquainted with the rapid growth of the Church in many countries, resulting in stress and strain on the temporal organization of the Church and its physical resources, we can clearly see why the Lord inspired his prophet to make the organizational changes he has in the recent months. 
I believe herein lies one of the most important and basic principles we should be aware of. This lesson is taught by the Savior as recorded in St. Matthew. When Jesus came to the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that is the rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. End quote. The priesthood we bear and the church we belong to today are the same as in the beginning. They were restored by revelation to a prophet, Joseph Smith, and are led by a prophet today, President Spencer W. Kimball. This I know to be true. I am so grateful for this knowledge. All of the changes that have taken place during President Kimball's ministry are the result of revelation. The same revelation the Savior referred to as the foundation stone of his church. With all my heart, I with my counselors accept President Kimball as a prophet of God and accept his direction in all things, not only willingly, but enthusiastically. And we encourage all faithful members of the church to do likewise. President Lee on several occasions gave wise counsel with respect to following the living prophet. I should like to quote from one of his Brigham Young University devotional addresses. Quote, Now may I make a personal reference, which I'll try to treat in such a way as to preserve the confidentiality. It involved a beautiful young wife and mother from a prominent family. She had gone away from her home and was now in the east. She had gone out into an area where she and her husband had taken up with those in the ghetto. And she wrote me a rather interesting letter, and I quote only a paragraph. Tomorrow my husband will shave off his long, full beard. Because of the request of the stake president and your direction in the priesthood bulletin, he must not have the appearance of evil or rebellion if he is to get a recommend to go to the temple. I have wept anguished tears. The faces of Moses and Jacob were bearded. And to me, the wisdom and spirituality of the old prophets reflected from the face of my own spiritual husband. It was like cutting out for me a symbol of the good things my generation has learned. Then the letter concluded with a challenge to me. We are prepared for clear, specific, hard-line direction as youth. Wishy-washy implications are not heard very well here. We look to you to tell it straight. I don't know whether she knew just what she was asking for when she asked me to tell it straight. But these are some things I wrote to her. In your letter, you addressed me as Dear President Lee. And in your first sentence, you refer to me as the Lord's prophet. Now in your letter, you tell me that you are saddened because with the shaving off of the beard and the cutting of the hair, which to you made your husband appear as the prophets, Moses and Jacob, he would no longer bear that resemblance. I wonder if you might not be wiser to think of following the appearance of the prophets of today 
President David O. McKay had no beard or long hair. Neither did President Joseph Fielding Smith, and neither does your humble servant, whom you have acknowledged as the Lord's prophet. The inconsistency in your letter has made me reflect upon an experience that I had in the mission field. When in company with some missionaries and the mission president, we were at Carthage, a Carthage jail, where the martyrdom of the prophet Joseph and his brother Hiram took place. In that meeting, there were recounted the events that led up to their martyrdom. Then the mission president made some significant comments. He said, when the prophet Joseph Smith died, there were many who died spiritually with Joseph. Likewise, there were many who died spiritually with Brigham Young and so with others of the presidents of the church because they chose to follow the man who had passed on rather than giving allegiance to his successor upon whom the mantle of leadership had been given by the Lord's appointment. And then I asked her, are you following in looks prophets who lived hundreds of years ago? Or, or are you really true to your faith as a member of the church in failing to look to those who preside in the church today? Why is it that you want your husband to look like Moses and Jacob rather than to look like the modern prophets to whom you are expressing allegiance? If you will give this sober thought, your tears will dry and you'll begin to have some new thoughts." Unquote. Another important lesson concerning following the direction of a living prophet can be found in 2 Kings chapter 5. It tells of a great warrior and servant of the king of Syria whose name was Naaman. He had contracted leprosy. He was sent to the king of Israel who later referred him to the prophet Elisha. We read in verses 9 through 14. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would, will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parapar rivers in Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do something great, would, wouldst Thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. End quote. President Romney tells an interesting experience he had with regard to following the living prophet. One day when President Grant was living, I sat in my office across the street following a general conference. A man came over to see me, an elderly man. He was very upset about what had been said in this conference by some of the brethren, including myself. I could tell from his speech that he came from a foreign land. After I had quieted him enough so he would listen, I said, Why did you come to America? I came here because a prophet of God told me to come. Who was that? The prophet, I continued, Wilford Woodruff. Do you believe Wilford Woodruff was a prophet of God? Yes, said he. 
Do you believe that his successor, President Lorenzo Snow, was a prophet of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that President Joseph F. Smith was a prophet of God? Yes, sir. Then came the $64 question. Do you believe that Heber J. Grant is a prophet of God? His answer, I think he ought to keep his mouth shut about old age assistance. End quote. <clears throat> what a great blessing it is to live in this world and have ears with which to hear the direction from a living prophet of God. Direction that can bring inner peace in a time of great confusion and difficulty. I pray that each of us will listen to and follow President Kimball, who I testify is the, mouth, the mouthpiece of the Lord to mankind today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. President Kimball of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, distinguished guests, brothers, scouts, and scouters. It is a great privilege and honor for me to be here in this renowned spiritual center on this momentous occasion. And as president of the Boy Scouts of America, I bring you greetings on behalf of our executive board of the Boy Scouts of America to tell you that we are pleased to be represented at this great meeting of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. I feel that as we meet on this great occasion that we once again should recognize the long and distinguished partnership between the Boy Scouts of America and your church. Since 1913, the Mormon Church has used the scouting program as an integral part of its ministry to boys and young men. This unique relationship has been possible because of a close alignment of the goals and objectives between scouting and the church, namely character building, citizenship training, personal fitness, spiritual growth. And we must pay a great tribute to those early church leaders who, in their great wisdom, saw in the scouting programs methods which, when properly applied, would bring youth into a closer and more meaningful relationship with their God and fellow men. This is the real merit of the scouting program. It can be adapted by community organizations such as churches, service, civic clubs, schools, and used by these organizations to help them achieve their aims for their young people. The methods of scouting provide a most effective means whereby boys can learn self-reliance, teamwork, duty to God and country, and respect for the beliefs and convictions of others, all by subscribing to the scout oath and law and supporting it. In this way, they develop a code of ethics and a sense of values by which they pattern their lives. 
in combination with other programs of the church and community, scouting provides a genuine context for Christian living. In my travels around the scouting world, I am continually impressed by the effectiveness with which the Mormon Church uses the scouting program in cooperation with the various scout associations around the world. As a worldwide movement, scouting plays a vital role in promoting world brotherhood and understanding. And even on the global scene, scouting helps the Church achieve its aims. I would, before continuing, like to thank you for sharing with us in my administration the fine leadership of your President Ezra Taft Benson, of Elder Tom Monson and Elder Marion Hanks, and through this long period of partnership, many others who have been so helpful in our national scouting program. I would like at this time to ask Mr. William Jackson, who is chairman of our relationship division of the Boy Scouts of America, to join me here at the podium, and also Mr. James Sands, who is director of our international division of the Boy Scouts of America. Would you gentlemen please come forward? Because today, we pay tribute to your esteemed president whose support and sincere belief in scouting continues to make this fine relationship possible. President Kimball, would you please come forward? Spencer Woolley Kimball, world religious leader, author, humanitarian, friend of scouting. The Boy Scouts of America salutes you and confers upon you the Silver World Award, our highest honor for distinguished service to youth on a global basis. You, sir, are recognized among distinguished citizens of the world who have contributed so substantially to the spirit of unity and the brotherhood among the youth of over 113 nations of this great world. We're honored to make this presentation. Thank you very much. Mr. Jackson will hand you the certificate that accompanies this award. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you very, very much for this opportunity, and thank you, President Kimball. I think I'd like to ask all the scouts in this room to please stand a moment. Thank you very much. Thank you. I deeply appreciate this recognition and this act of courtesy on the part of the Boy Scouts of America. I've enjoyed a long and respectful relationship with scouting. I believe in its potential to motivate young men 
to live with effectiveness and integrity and to help them prepare for their manhood. There are some lines from a poet that reflect my feelings about boys. Nobody knows what a boy is worth. We'll have to wait and see. But every man in a noble place a boy once used to be. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints stands firm in its commitment to youth, to the families to which they belong, and to the families they themselves will one day form, and to every program and effort that seeks to build and strengthen and enrich and ennoble youth. The Boy Scouts of America has for many years found sponsorship in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Since 1913, we became the first partner to sponsor scouting in the United States. We have remained strong and firm in our support of this great movement for boys and of the oath and the law which are at its center. To commit a boy to do his best is to do his duty to God, to his country, to his fellow men, to true principles, and to himself, is to open avenues of vision and direction for him which can be critically important in his life. A young man who understands and is in full commitment to the great principles of the scout law has his feet firmly planted on a path that can lead to a happy and constructive life. He will qualify for his own self-respect. He will very likely form wholesome relationships with others and will establish an honorable family. If he is true to scout principles, he will be helpful in forming a companionship with his Heavenly Father that will strengthen all the other relationships and aspects of life. It is our understanding and belief that scouting is still strongly centered in these duties and, and principles and that there is a de determination in its present leadership to strengthen them further. This being true, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints affirms the continued support of scouting and will seek to provide leadership which will help boys keep close to their, their families and close to the church as they develop the qualities of citizenship and character and fitness which scouting represents. Again, I thank you sincerely for this award. Young men, I should like to talk to you about your progress toward the eternities. One of the greatest opportunities of this life is the refining influence that comes into your soul as you make preparations to touch hearts when you're on his sacred errand as a missionary. May I suggest five things you might do? One, pray fervently to your Father in heaven at least twice each day. Perhaps appropriate times would be as the day begins and as it closes. This will build a close personal relationship with him. 
Listen to these thoughts titled, Radio Slim Fingers. If radio slim fingers can pluck a melody from night and toss it o'er a continent or sea, if petaled white notes of a violin are thrown across a mountain or a city's din, if songs like crimson roses are just drawn from thin blue air, then why? Why do mortals wonder if God can hear prayer? Number two. Have your own personal copies of the scriptures. Young men, will you put forth sufficient effort to secure them? Number three, let these scriptures become worn and used so they'll feel as comfortable in your hands as well-worn tennis shoes do on your feet. Study them daily. You may wish to resolve to read particularly the Book of Mormon within the next year. This can be done by averaging less than two pages per day. If you were to read four pages a day, you could within the next year read the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the New Testament. This would be a worthy goal to establish. But please do not settle for less than absorbing the Book of Mormon in the next year of your life. Number four, have a mission savings account. I hope this is only a suggestion to continue what you've already started. If not, start today, this very moment. Set aside some amount of money, however small, as the beginning of your contribution to your mission. Number five, be active in the church. This means attendance at Sunday school, priesthood meeting, sacrament meeting, and involved in scouting, seminary, or institute dependent upon your age. Number six, participate in family home evening because of an eternal design. You are a part of this very special group of spirits. Contribute in this setting. Do not just receive. Through the proper use of prayer, acquaintance with the lives and experiences of the prophets, the scriptures, you will have the base from which to make a very special spiritual contribution to family home evening. Now a comment to the fathers. The attitude of the father will be the school of the son. You will want to inspire your son to respond to the call of the prophet. Here are six things you might do to prepare your son for a mission. Number one, teach him that in the humility of prayer, great strength flows from heaven. Teach him the principles of prayer. You might utilize as a base the wonderful sermon President Ezra Taft Benson presented to us this afternoon. Number two, aid your son to secure his own personal copies of the scriptures after he has extended every personal effort. Number three, help him create a personal study program of the scriptures so that daily 
there is a spiritual intake. Number four, show him the process and inspire him to have a savings program so that he will feel a personal monetary contribution and sacrifice as he consecrates his time to this very holy purpose. Number five, lead him by example into full church activity, assuring that he takes advantage of his appropriate priesthood, scouting, seminary, institute, and auxiliary opportunities. Teach him the truths of faith, baptism, repentance, the blessings of the gift of the Holy Ghost. And number six, hold family home evening regularly. That means every Monday evening. And allow him a meaningful participative experience. May we mention an important resource for you, Father, your home teachers. Now to the home teachers. You want to help this father accomplish this task. How might you do it? Senior home teacher, one way would be to invite your maturing young companion to study these following steps under your prayerful inspiration and then assign him at the invitation of the Father to teach these principles and procedures in the home. Young man, you might just possibly receive this assignment. Won't you listen in? The assignment to the maturing young companion. One, how you have been blessed in your life by approaching your Father in heaven in prayer. Number two, Take your scriptures with you on all visits to the homes assigned. Number three, quote from your scriptures and show methods of marking them for easy reference. Number four, show your savings book or bank or whatever process you're using to prepare financially for your mission. Number five, express the exhilarating joy received from church participation. Specific examples of times of inspiration through testimony-bearing and hearing, as well as times of fun in uplifting activities enjoyed with the youth. And number six, express in that home how you were privileged to have a real growing experience in the regular family home evening held in your home. Now back to where we began, with you, my young friend, and I'm speaking to you individually. Remember the incident of that September night of 1823. Moroni counseled the prophet Joseph three times. Joseph went into the field, told his father what had happened, His father said, Son, go back to the house and rest. He climbed through the fence. You remember, fell to the ground. And the fourth time, the message was repeated. I think Joseph Smith understood that world-moving message. 
Do you understand what has happened in the past few minutes? Would you imagine you've had a sleepless night? These principles have penetrated your mind three times. You figuratively go into the field to tell your father of this experience. He counsels you to return home and meditate, ponder, internalize these thoughts. You climb through the fence and fall to the ground. And these convictions cross your mind. I will fill a mission. And to prepare one, I will pray at least twice a day. Two, I will have my personal copies of the scriptures. Three, they will become worn and used, and the teachings found therein will be invited into my very being. Four, I will support myself financially to the very limit of my ability, and then I'll stretch even a little more. Number five, I will attend. No, I'll really participate in Sunday school scouting, ironic priesthood, seminary and institute and other opportunities appropriate to my age. And number six, I'll be grateful for the blessings of family home evening. Now, young man, get up from that reclining position by the fence and move. What will be the result? You will be a better missionary. When our prophet leader, Spence, President Spencer W. Kimball, says every young man on a mission, he's looking far beyond the months spent on the mission field. Upon your return, you will be a better bishop and a better stake president, a better husband, a better father and a better whatever you will be, either in this life or the one to come. As you make your decision, will you remember this? The Lord lives. Jesus is the Christ. This is his work in which we are engaged. In the final analysis, you must stand on your own decision. This decision will be a test of your character and obedience. May you be blessed to decide affirmatively and then prepare courageously and serve magnificently I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.